0: This is Big Podcast. It's Build a Big Podcast, the marketing podcast for podcasters, the podcast all about growing your audience, having impact on that audience, making money. Basically what I'm doing here is showing you how to have impact with your message. I'm not talking about chalking up likes and downloads and other arbitrary statistics. No, 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 no. I'm talking about having real impact with your words, doing work that matters. I rarely talk about tech, only if it's in service of those things. If you're interested in tech, this is not the place for you. But if you want to grow your audience, welcome. Bigpodcast.com is the website. My name is David Hooper. and this episode, it's part three of the four-part series I'm doing, talking with Jay Klaus about him taking his podcast, Creative Elements, to creativeelements.fm and getting connected to the HubSpot Podcast Network. That's originally why I brought Jay in. But on this episode, we're talking about a lot of things. Ads and income strategy of your podcast. Going to show you the behind the scenes of how that works. CPM versus a niche buyout. Which option is better for you? CPM, if you're not familiar. How much you're charging for every thousand downloads that you get. We're digging into partnerships. Specifically, partnerships with networks and broadcasting companies. Content creation but it's not just content that we're doing here. It's like this download statistics that I'm talking about. Content, what is that? We're talking about making a connection with people and making impact with the content that you create. Speaking of that content, we're gonna talk about how you're doing it. The churn and burn content creation philosophy, or are you going for quality versus quantity? Either way works, there are pros and cons to each. We'll be going into that. Also the hierarchy of content creators, because not all content creators are equal, not in the eyes of a listening or viewing audience. We can act like it doesn't matter. Those are the guys who say, no, man, just record it on a phone. See, this is where I get into the tech. You can't just record it on the phone if you want somebody to respect you like the guys that are recording with good quality. So we dive a little bit into that. I'm going to be back with episode four of this series where I'm going to go even deeper into this, coming back with additional commentary to what Jay and I talk about on this episode. Jay is out of Columbus, Ohio, by the way. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. And thanks to the technology that we have available to us, we sound like we're in the same room. This episode is brought to you by Riverside.fm. Riverside will allow you to do the exact same thing with your guest. You can schedule an invite guest with one click. And when I say guest, I'm talking about up to eight guests at once. You probably don't have the hosting skills for that. I'm gonna be honest with you. But if you wanna do it, eight guests at once. It is possible with Riverside. All these guests would need to do is click on the link and using the Chrome browser, they will be instantly in your Riverside studio sounding like they're in the same room with you. Then after you're done, you can edit your content using the Riverside Magic Editor. Save hours of editing work using just a few clicks. If you want to export video, you can do that. Upload your logo, change the session background, choose your speaker layout and export. It is that easy. So not only do you have an audio podcast that you can export, you can also export a YouTube video. You want to stream it? You can do that. While you're recording, you can live stream your interview to Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and LinkedIn. It is very, very easy. You can do it all at riverside.fm. They will let you do it for free for the first two hours. Check it out. See how you like it. You want to continue? I've got a discount code for you. Big podcast, B-I-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. The URL, riverside.fm. You can try out all these features for the first couple of hours. You want to continue? Big podcast. That's the code. B-I-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. That's going to get you 15% off of Riverside.fm. This is me with Jay Klaus talking about building a big podcast, his podcast, Creative Elements, just signed to the HubSpot Podcast Network. How does that work? What happens behind the scenes? You're going to find out right here. Mm -hmm. Ads, is that the main income strategy since day one?
1: Yeah, for sure it was a reason that I wanted to work with the network. Uh, They had an ad team that would help me with that. They felt confident they could sell ads even from the launch of the show, which they did. And then those ads got retracted because there was a funny little thing that happened in March of 2020 that impacted advertisers. But yeah, that's, that's the predominant revenue
0: source from the show. It's interesting. You say that because my broadcast show, there's a partnership with a broadcast conglomerate and they just absolutely got killed. We're talking about COVID by the way, if you don't remember March, 2020, all the restaurants, every live event, just died overnight, and it was an industry-wide thing and extremely scary. Everybody's doing like GoFundMe campaigns all of a sudden, you know. <laughs> it's, yeah, and it was like, well, we're just gonna we're gonna wait and
1: see. It, it was a right? very it was very much like a preemptive move of like, we don't know what's gonna happen this year, but maybe we shouldn't spend this money in the way that we were going to spend it.
0: Thinking about the parallels of that, having that broadcast show, we do our show in four segments, meaning. Three ad breaks, basically. I'm curious with you because when you mentioned 10 minutes, I was like, damn, Jay, that's a lot of ads. And I wanted to jump into that. Uh, You have how many ad breaks in the hour interview, hour-ish interview? We have pre-roll
1: ads. Then we have the two mid-roll breaks. And then we have post-roll. Okay, and we have more than one ad unit in each of those breaks. So the pre-roll, we have three ad units. One of them is a cross promo with another show on the network uh, and then two advertiser spots. The mid-rolls are similar where the first mid-roll is two spots, two advertiser spots. Second mid-roll is three spots, two advertiser spots, and then usually another cross promo or something once again for the network. And then the two post-roll that nobody really buys and nobody really cares. I could have 10 ads in the post roll and it would just be the post roll,
0: <laughs> you know. So Well, that's one of those things kind of like it's a nice uh value add, maybe, hey, we'll throw this on there, give you a little bonus. It's a good thing for negotiation. That's what I've found. Yeah. But not one of those that people even my call to action, like, hey, everybody subscribe to this podcast. I'm like, yeah, nobody's listening to this.
1: There was some independent research done to show that the efficacy of advertisements in podcasts was higher if you had a pre-roll and a mid-roll in the same episode. So we end up with a lot of advertisers that will purchase both as part of their package because then you get exposed to the message twice, even though it's a different message, you know, it's it's set another way. But now you've just been exposed to repetition, which is so important for so many things. And you can do that within one episode.
0: And you do dynamic ad insertions, so you can flip these back and forth to whatever you want them to be.
1: Yeah, and we're using the Spotify ad network on the back end as well. So if we have an ad campaign that's promised 40,000 impressions, if that runs up in real time, that will be replaced with some other ad inventory on the Spotify ad network. So those spots are always full, but sometimes there are advertisers that we didn't sell directly.
0: I was going to ask that. Who sells your ads? You're doing direct sales then?
1: Yeah, I have a sales team still working the conglomerate on the sales side. And they do a really great job.
0: How does that work? They take a percentage and then give you a percentage.
1: Yeah, it's a revenue share. I won't go into the exact split, but industry-wide, it's typically either 80-20, 70-30, or 60-40 on that, depending on who you're working with and what type of volume you're driving. It's in that range.
0: Just as a comparison, I mentioned the broadcast show, and that has six minutes of ads per hour per hour. When we go to syndication, we provide three of those ads and just keep the ad revenue and then the local station gets three. So it's free content for them. And then it's 100% of three minutes of mm. sales. So yeah, there are different ways to do it. I'm curious with you guys with these dynamic ads, you were not always doing dynamic ads when you take it back to the very first podcast upside, right? It was just a host red ad, I'm assuming, or you played something and it was there forever.
1: Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense if you're not big enough to play the CPM game. And we were not, we were selling ads predominantly actually to service providers. And then we would bake that into each audio episode and it lived there into
0: perpetuity. What has the response been from your audience as far as the dynamic ads versus something where I know that you're reading it live or not, you know, but, uh, something that's uh, not dynamic. Well, it's, it kind of depends.
1: Like, Doing a live read in the episode doesn't necessarily sound different than a host-read ad that's inserted using dynamic ad insertion. So most of the time, they don't understand what dynamic ad insertion is. They don't know when and how these things change. They're not listening to the same episode over and over again. So a lot of listeners probably think that the ads are all baked in and chosen for that episode. They certainly respond to the host-read stuff better than the Span Network, the Spotify Audio Network stuff that just kind of gets cycled in and it's whoever is reading that. The response has been okay, not negative in any way. I will occasionally get someone to say like, you have a lot of ads, Um, (laughs) but no one's getting angry or saying I can't listen to the show anymore because it has too many ads. Uh, What people will complain about is those Span ads because sometimes the volume is different the audio file that was uploaded to the Spotify audio network might be just like louder. The level. Yeah. Yeah. So like, why is this? And then uh, recently we found out that there were political ads running in those spots in geo located states. So like there was an ad in Texas for a specific candidate and I heard about that. So I found out that I can actually in the Spotify audio network controls, I can exclude certain ad categories. And so I've done that for sensitive things like drugs, alcohol, yeah. financial products, politics, things like that. Well,
0: that's one of the things that scares people a lot. And similar situation, I believe it was with the same network recovery podcast. Mm. And, uh, it was like, Hey, do you like to party? Come on down. That's it. You know, it's like, what? Come, yeah, it was the absolute worst ad they could have put in this thing. And it was via dynamic ad insertion. And it's like, Whoa. So, uh, I think we're becoming more aware of that. I know I've seen stock market situations that you buy a mutual fund and you don't want to invest in certain types of companies. You certainly don't want to have certain ads or be associated with certain types of companies or politicians, maybe. Um, yeah, it, it, It's dangerous, right? It's dangerous. I think that's one of the things that, that scares people is the lack of control in that. I'm curious about that because you've always, with this podcast, with Creative Elements, you've been working with a network, but moving over to HubSpot, I want to talk about that transition Arguably a bigger network, the HubSpot podcast network. Let's talk about control. Was that something that you had to give up or were you worried about giving up when you made that change?
1: I wasn't because HubSpot does a pretty good job of getting out front with what working with them looks like. And they're very upfront with not only will we not put creative control on you, like we're not interested in that. Now, did they have some guidelines along the lines of, hey, we would prefer you don't work with sponsors that are competitive to HubSpot specifically, sure. But like as far as the actual content goes, they just want me to continue publishing on a consistent basis. They don't have any influence over the type of content. Part of being a part of the network is, I guess, reciprocating with other shows in the network in that I have two HubSpot podcast network ad units per episode, one in the pre-roll, one in the mid-roll. And one of those ads is always used as a cross promotion for another show on the HubSpot podcast network. By doing that, like I also enjoy the benefits of that, where all other shows on the network have that pre roll ad spot cross promoting another show. And most months, Creative Elements is one of those shows. That's the benefit of that. Those are two ad units that I'm no longer directly monetizing in that way. That's a trade off that I decided to make because I see the upside of the long term marketing benefit and the return on more downloads, more impressions for the other monetized ad units.
0: I want to take it back to those guidelines that they've got for you. There was nothing, it sounds like, as far as content, but they expect you to operate in a specific way, right? I mean, could it be an explicit podcast? Could you talk about sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Anything like that that they said, "Eh, you know, you might want to stay away from these topics? Because you know just like you being associated with a brand i would think that they don't want to be associated with certain topics
1: i think that would have been a deciding factor of would they have invited me on in the first place it would be wildly out of character for me to go in that direction right they look at the shows that they bring on ahead of time to see is this a good content fit my show doesn't veer anywhere close to like sensitive subjects like that where we would have to have a discussion of like maybe steer clear of this or be more conservative on that. Like it's, it's just never even come close. So I don't know if that ever enters into the conversations they have with other shows, but as a business network, I doubt it. All their shows are business shows. They're pretty targeted around helping people improve their businesses, helping people start and run businesses, not a lot of lifestyle content.
0: From what it sounds like though, you like they knew you, you were an established property already. And uh, let's get into negotiating the deal. I think that helped you to negotiate a deal rather than somebody just walking up to them and say, hey, let me on the network. I've got nothing to show. I've just got this idea. They knew what they were getting because you had the numbers. Oh, for sure. How did you get connected with these guys? Did they approach you or you approach them? They've put a
1: lot of time and effort and investment into promoting the HubSpot podcast network. I think they're doing a really good job of raising the brand of the podcast network within HubSpot. A couple times per year, they run what they call their creator accelerator program. It's an experience built for smaller, earlier stage shows for the most part. It's very similar functionally to the benefits that I enjoy. But their point is we can help these shows that are a little bit earlier stage, a little bit smaller scale, get to a higher scale, which is incentive aligned with them because the more downloads of a show with their advertisements in there, effectively like the lower the CPM, they're getting they're getting more exposure.
0: Well it's like a startup or getting somebody in on the ground level. So you yeah. get it at a cheaper rate and you can build up with them and eventually maybe have a deal. I would imagine probably like American idol or something, they've probably got some kind of deal if those things take off some kind of right of first refusal or some kind of ownership, I would think. Some stuff, but
1: they aren't about ownership typically. They look at it as an investment in your growth. They know that their upside is that they are, hopefully, you know, their, their shows grow and do really, really well. And they're essentially getting very cheap CPM rates yeah, for all these shows. And they're closely aligned with shows that are listened to by their target customer. It's not an IP thing for them. It's more about distribution. That appealed to me. I actually went through the accelerator program just to get on their radar. Yeah. My show wasn't really a fit for that because it was more established. So I ended up in the established program track. And if anyone was listening to this and interested, you can go to creators.hubspot.com. And there's a button up top called how we invest that kind of outlines these programs. So I ended up going the established program route. My benefits are essentially all the same, but I am able to continue to run advertisements in my show.
0: There's some podcasters. They'd say, I would do this for free because I've got this expanded distribution. HubSpot has one of the biggest newsletters in this space.
1: HubSpot bought The Hustle a couple years ago. They never disclosed the terms of that deal because Sam, the owner of The Hustle, never wanted to disclose the terms of that deal, but safe to say tens of millions of dollars. At the time, The Hustle, fairly certain, also owned My First Million, or at least was a co-owner of My First Million with Sean Purry. So HubSpot does own that show, But yeah, since my show is already running advertising units, it was important to me that I wasn't taking like a financial step back by joining a network. So I couldn't just give all of my advertising inventory to HubSpot. Typically in the accelerator program, those shows are at a scale where they're not yet running advertisements. So putting HubSpot ads in there is just an added bit of time to the episode. But for me, like giving up two ad units is an investment on my own, or at least an opportunity cost. Yeah. So in the established program, I was able to continue to to sell those ads on
0: my own. Right. We've got a saying here in Nashville, you know, if Garth Brooks came to me and he said, "David, I really like your song, I want ninety percent of it," I'd be like, "Yeah, that's great," because uh ten percent of a Garth Brooks hit is better than one hundred percent of a David Hooper hit. Yeah. A lot of people are really short-sighted in podcasting. That's what I find. They think, oh, it's advertising or nothing. And obviously you're doing really well at advertising, man. And there's certainly a lot of money there. But when you think about distribution for the other businesses that you've got behind this podcast, tell me if I'm wrong, you would not consider yourself, you mentioned there's a a video first strategy, but even that, would you consider yourself a YouTuber or a podcaster first or are you something else?
1: I would still say I'm a podcaster. Because even the video show I think of as a video podcast, more and more, I basically say I'm a creator, depending on who the audience is. And if they understand what that term means, sometimes if someone's like, what do you do? And I'm like, you're never going to get this. I just say, yeah, I'm a podcaster because it's, it's easier. It's something they've listened to. It's something they understand. But I basically have like a full media company to some degree, the newsletter with podcast with the YouTube channel and the, the essays that I put out there. So it's pretty full stack. But podcasting seems to be the most understood and accessible to people who don't quite understand all the intricacies of how a creator business works. I'll often lean into podcaster as an identity marker.
0: But you've got things other than the podcast. That's my point is that, you know, sometimes podcasters come on and, and that's it, the podcast and they have one revenue stream. Maybe if it's not ads, it's going to be t-shirts, but you've got things beyond that. Oh yeah. Even if HubSpot didn't pay you a thing the distribution would probably be worth something to you. It wouldn't be just an ego stroke.
1: Yeah, I mean, I look at the, the podcast and the YouTube channel, my newsletter, there's not really a cap on how well those things can go because the revenue models for all of them are basically CPM based. So if you continue to grow the audience, you'll continue to collect more revenue via CPMs. There's like infinite scale on those things. And I really value that about those digital properties. But I also have digital products. I have the membership affiliate income from linkedin learning as a course instructor there it's a pretty diversified business with a lot of cash inflows which is nice and all these things feed into each other well so if the podcast continues to grow that gets me in front of new people who start going down the rabbit hole discovering all these other things right it's hard to even attribute a customer to any one of these channels at this point, because people tune into a lot of it and can come from any one of those directions, you know, that nudge them.
0: Well, I don't even know how I found out about you. Speaking of, I, I was like, how do I, how do I know this guy? I I don't, you were just everywhere. I mean, <laughs> everywhere I was, maybe not everywhere.
1: But <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's the model. That's the goal. <laughs> yeah. Um, It's it's harder and harder to do as just like a one person operation for the most part. Yeah. Um, You know, I have, I have help on the podcasting side, which is great. But as far as like executing on the creative input, it's really just me, and I'm trying to exist in audio in video, in a newsletter, in articles on social media, everywhere, but yeah, getting a little bit better at it all the time. So you know, they have that old adage of "It takes seven marketing messages for somebody to like hear it and become a customer." And the volume of quote unquote marketing messages that I'm putting out every day is significant.
0: Something I've noticed with a lot of people, my wife's a photographer and works with a lot of folks that are in that world as far as brands and also the models that she shoots. A lot of them are also <clears throat> influencers or they think that they are. And uh, what I've noticed, especially in that world, but even in music where I was for a very long time, is that there's a, a churn and burn mindset right now. Just got a more, and more, more, more. What are your thoughts on that? How do you not get caught up in it? Not that you don't want to be caught up in it sometimes, but how are you keeping yourself from burning out?
1: I don't. I burn out fairly frequently.
0: (laughs) Several times a week.
1: (laughs) I have what I call a touch the stove approach to burnout, which is I have to touch the stove to know where burnout is. And then I try not to touch that again for a while, but I'm not very proactive about not touching the stove. I just approach it slowly and things start to feel hotter and Maybe that's a sign, but often I still touch the stove. Uh, I will say, though, I look at the trends on social media in particular right now and the way that these platforms are dealing with content, which, you know, they're getting more and more content all the time. It does seem like we're starting to see a better job of these platforms of identifying content that's doing well and in their eyes is like the better content and pushing that a little bit further. Right. It's hard to just win on quality of content if you don't have any reach on that platform to begin with. So it's hard to say, it's hard for me to know at the scale I'm at now, which isn't huge, but it's also bigger than most. Is my ability to lean into quality over quantity right now unique to me in the position that I'm in? Or is is this a moment in time where that's the right solution for all creators? Because I am finding that if I publish less let things breathe a little bit more but those things are better the returns are higher than just playing a volume game
0: i've certainly seen that in music and in just the creator world we'll call it there's a level of the guys that are just i don't know let's say that it's more or less spam you know and then there's like a mid-level and you're at the mid-level, upper-mid-level. And then there are the guys that are like the New York Times bestseller, or you've had a book on the chart for six months. And I think there's jumping to that level that a lot of people are trying to go to. And then when you're there, like a Malcolm Gladwell, for example, Mm -hmm. um, arguably Seth Godin, even though I know he blogs every day, that's his thing. But he doesn't seem like he's caught up in that. He seems like that's just who he is. I've definitely thought about it my own self, being 50 years old, being like, how much longer can I keep this up, man? I like to ask people, because you seem like you are having a hot year, dude. You're having a good run, and you seem like you are set to go wherever you want with this thing. Like, you could take it to that New York Times level if you wanted to. I wouldn't say that for everybody, but for whatever you've been doing, any final thoughts on that? Your biggest worries, the next level, keeping it going? I appreciate you saying that. I, I do
1: feel more momentum than i have in the past which is great it's also scary because this year i'm tracking on somewhere north of 325,000 for the the year in terms of top line revenue and that's crazy that's it's more than 2x last year which was already a factor above the year before that yeah and that feels awesome, but then also I know the calendar will turn and that Start tally over. starts over. <laughs> right. And it feels like a lot of pressure like am I actually going to yeah. match that or exceed that and do I need to? Do I care is that the game that I'm playing where I'm trying to just get more and more revenue or should I use this baseline of what I can expect to come in every month to actually reclaim more time and focus on bigger bets or bigger projects? And I haven't really decided what to do with that. Momentum's an amazing thing to have and A hard thing to start easy thing to lose yeah so first and foremost i'm just trying to maintain that because it opens up a lot of doors and it's a rich get richer world in a lot of ways and attention and opportunity with content is no different
0: at least you own your distribution channels for the most part the podcast yep email some of the stuff that you're doing is really smart you know you're not building a property on rented land, as they say. So any final thoughts, man? This has been great. Uh, This has gone in a different way in a lot of ways than I thought that it would, but I I love it that you're so thoughtful about this. And it seems like even though you are in the middle of it, that you are aware of what's going on, which from what I have seen, sometimes people don't know. It's like, if you hit success too early, for example, like a Island Boys, (laughs) you (laughs) you believe your own hype. Then what, and I've just seen that a lot? Maybe that's my entertainment background, but you see it in so many different ways, but you seem to you know that you're you're getting lucky and i when I say getting lucky, not that it was just a sure random chance, but you're having a good time and and you're aware of it, yeah, and I'm also aware that like I have the agency
1: to change that if that's not the direction that I want to go forever, but I see things as i'm not planning to change anything about the direction I'm going right now. Like I'll probably continue to improve processes and publish more and more and more. I probably would have gotten here a lot faster if I would have dabbled on everything less and became a student of one platform or one medium Yeah, to a higher degree. So my advice to somebody listening to this is don't try to be everywhere at once. Don't try to do everything and get all systems going at once. Take them one by one, get really good at one of them and, that's a lot easier than to leverage into another arena. I think that's a winning formula, especially in this time. And also, as you're being a student of that platform, try to make a lot of friends that are doing that well or on the same journey at about the same stage as you. Because it's really hard to do this alone. Sure, it's lonely, but also like the levels of feedback that you get aren't always great. It's hard to get really good feedback consistently if you're doing things alone and you can lift each other up if you're working alongside other people. So focus on relationships, focus on doing one medium or platform really well. Once that feels easy, maybe you, you dabble with something else again.
0: Jay Klaus on Build a Big Podcast. His podcast, Creative Elements, available at CreativeElements.fm. Jay's got some really great stuff going, not just podcasting, as I've talked about in this series. He appears to be everywhere, or at least everywhere I am. He's on LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, HubSpot, all their properties, all the major platforms. He is there coming out with great content for content creators. As a podcaster, I think you're gonna appreciate him. So definitely check him out. Part four of this series, that is coming up next. I'm gonna jump back into the topics that Jay and I talked about on this episode. The ads, the income strategy, CPM versus niche buyout, partnerships and how to build them, how you identify yourself, YouTuber, podcaster, building a business around that and also being prepared for what happens should one of those things go away. Turn and burn content creation, quantity versus quality. How do you balance that? The hierarchy of content creators. Maybe you're one of these guys, you're online and you wanna get offline. I'm gonna talk about it because I've worked both. I actually started podcasting because of radio. Podcasting was an afterthought. Got into podcasting, liked it so much, don't really do a whole lot of radio. I mean, I'm on the radio, but I'm not doing any kind of syndication right now. Not worried about it, man. We changed the entire strategy because I love podcasting so much. I'm going to talk about that. Had a book deal. Now I'm doing independent publishing. I'm going to dive into that because we are living in a brand new world. We've got a lot of opportunities, whether that content is books, a live event, a podcast, a YouTube video, whatever you got. We have options, and I'm going to be going deeper into those options. Everything we talked about today, adding more commentary to that and more on the next episode of this podcast. You're going to be able to get that via the feed. And here's how to do that. Go to bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. I've made it very easy for you. I've got three buttons for you. One for Android phones, one for iPhones, one is an RSS feed, and I've got a fourth special option for you. It's a QR code. You can scan it with your phone. And when you do, You will be able to get Build a Big Podcast on your phone. You can take me with you wherever you go. You can take me in your car. You can take me to the gym, wherever you go. You know, I'm a radio guy. I just said, I'm on the radio. I appreciate the radio. I love listening to the radio. But it's so nice when you're driving around to be able to take a podcast with you, listen to exactly what you want to listen to. How great is that? And you can do that bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. Scan that QR code, get Build a Big Podcast on your phone take the podcast in your car, take me with you. And this year, we're gonna build a big podcast together just like I've done, just like Jay Klaus has done. You can do it too. Bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. That's how to get me on your phone. Go there before you forget, get me on your phone. I'll see you at bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. And when you subscribe, I will see you on the next episode of Build a Big Podcast.